Hi everyone, I'm Nicole from Wild for Change. Today we're speaking with amphibian biologist, Dr. Carrie Krieger, founder of Save the Frogs. Save the Frogs began in 2008 and works across the United States as well as around the world to prevent the extinction of amphibians and to create a better planet for humans and wildlife, while also empowering ordinary citizens to contribute to the betterment of the planet. According to Save the Frogs, frog populations have been declining worldwide at unprecedented rates and nearly one-third of the world's amphibian species are threatened with extinction. Up to 200 species have completely disappeared since 1980, and this is not normal. Amphibians naturally go extinct at a rate of only about one species every 500 years. Some advancements made by Save the Frogs includes prevented the construction of a 12-story restaurant and apartment complex on top of one of Canada's last three populations of Fowler's toads. Stop the city of San Francisco from destroying the little Yosemite Canyon stretch of Alameda Creek, which is a prime breeding habit for foothill yellow-legged frogs. Assisted with or independently led the construction or restoration of 29 wetlands, including over a thousand volunteers and have dispersed nearly $100,000 in grants to 47 amphibian conservationists in 16 countries. A warm welcome and thank you, Dr. Carrie Krieger, for joining us today. Hi, Nicole, it's great to be here. Thank you, thank you for coming here and sharing with us your knowledge about frogs and amphibians. Um, I wanted to begin with just if you could share with listeners why you love amphibians and how Save the Frogs came into existence. Okay. Yeah, I founded Save the Frogs in 2008. Our mission is to protect amphibian populations and to promote a society that respects and appreciates nature and wildlife. I founded Save the Frogs because there was no public charity anywhere on the planet dedicated exclusively to protecting amphibians. And amphibians have been in rapid decline in numbers many species going extinct uh, over the last several decades. So they're in need of assistance. And I love amphibians. They're really interesting. They're cool looking. Uh, they don't harm us at all. They're not going to attack you. Uh, they make cool sounds when they're calling. And I think uh, they kind of bring us back to a um, uh, time long in the past when there was a bit more nature. Usually frogs are out in natural places and I just really like them a lot. I spent a lot of time in Australia. I did my PhD research there from 2003 to 2007 and was out in the rainforest with frogs a lot. Before that, I didn't actually have any kind of frog fascination growing up. I'd see them occasionally, didn't think about them too much. But for my time in Australia, just spending a lot of time with frogs, you get to like them a whole lot. When I finished up my PhD research, uh, frogs had not been saved. There was a lot to get done, and that was my area of expertise, and I didn't see any reason to change to any other branch of environmental conservation, so I've just kept on going for about 20 years, been deep in the world of amphibian conservation. Uh, there's always plenty to get done, and there's plenty that everybody out there can do to save amphibians, so I remain optimistic about the uh, state of amphibians and the environment. Yeah. Wow. Well, thank you for all the work that you've been doing and raising awareness about um, their need of protection and support. So what do you do when you're working across the globe? What does your work specifically entail to help save frogs? 
Yeah, we have a lot of programs going on. Number one has always been environmental education because I consider that to be the um, start of all successful environmental conservation because people must be educated. If people don't know that there's a problem and don't know how to help out and don't care about the problem, then nothing's much is going to get done. So we've always had a lot of environmental education through our website, savethefrogs.com. We've got at least a thousand pages of amphibious education. Wow. I've given about 450 presentations to school groups, uh, community groups, government agencies. Um, I visit a lot of universities, meet with researchers and undergraduates, grad students. Uh, we also have legislative programs. Uh, we've gotten the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service to prohibit the importation and interstate transportation of 201 salamander species that are known to carry a deadly disease. Those species are primarily in Europe and outside the U.S. and we don't want them entering the U.S. because there's a disease, Batrachochytrium salamandra vorans, that has been causing die-offs of amphibians in Europe. Not yet here, fortunately. So we got that implemented about five years ago and that has reduced the importations of those species by 99% and we still don't have that disease in the US. So that was a big success. We've also gotten the city and county of Santa Cruz, California to stop or um, make illegal the importation and possession of American bullfrogs, which while American bullfrogs are native to the eastern half of the US, they are not native to the western half of the U.S. and they cause huge amounts of problems. They're a very large frog, largest frog in North America. Frogs eat whatever they can fit in their mouth and those frogs eat a lot of native wildlife. They also spread disease and they're being imported into the U.S. at least a couple million a year, most of them coming from frog farms in Asia. So mm. Uh, we've also been working with the state of California to prevent the importation statewide, and uh, we have gotten the state of California to stop their plans to open up Tesla Park, which is a reserve about an hour east of San Francisco. They wanted to open it up to off-highway motorcycle vehicle recreation, so that they'd have ATVs and motorcycles destroying the land in there. There's five wow. endangered amphibians. We got them to stop that. So we have various legislative campaigns and we also do habitat restoration, planting trees in Ghana, West Africa. We planted about 15,000 trees to reforest habitat for the critically endangered giant squeaker frog. And we've been building wetlands across the USA and Mexico and teaching people how to build backyard ponds and even larger wetlands on their property because Habitat destruction is the number one cause of amphibian population declines. So if we can get people to create habitat, restore habitat, protect habitat, that's one of the best things that we can do for amphibians. Yeah. Wow. You've done so much incredible work. Thank you. Yeah. And especially with the legislative process. I mean, when you can get things passed legislatively to protect um, any kind of uh, animal or wildlife, it goes a long way. Um, and I mean, being able to say that um, conservation area where Tesla wanted to have that ATV, um, you yeah, know, that it wasn't, just... I'll, I'll clarify, it was not the company Tesla, it just happens to be called Tesla Park. Got it. Got it. 
Well, it's great that you were able to, um, Save the Frogs was able to stop that from happening yeah, and, and uh, just tearing up more wildlife area. Yeah, as you had mentioned, uh, there were there was a company who wanted to develop land in Canada about 11 or 12 years ago. They were going to build on top of Fowler's Toad habitat, and there's only three populations of Fowler's Toad in Canada. And we had a Save the Frogs Academy class and each week the students would um, do their homework would be to try to stop that from happening and eventually the developers canceled that project becoming because it became too controversial and they were not able to pre-sell the apartments so to date those um, toads are still there and nothing has been built oh excellent excellent that's so um it's relieving for me to hear that and learn about that so thank you um, so I know I mentioned that in the beginning that 200 species of frogs have become extinct since 1980. And I read that 2000 species right now are threatened with extinction. So besides losing their habitat, um, is there anything other main threats to their existence? Yeah, there's actually six primary threats to amphibians. So habitat destruction is number one. Mm -hmm. And... Number two is chytrid fungus and the disease chytridiomycosis, a potentially lethal skin disease of amphibians uh, caused by the chytrid fungus, Batrachochytrium dendrobatitis, uh, which has caused most of the damage. There is also a second chytrid fungus that causes problems for amphibians. As I mentioned, Batrachochytrium salamandrivorans that affects primarily mm -hmm. salamanders. Uh, so the chytrid fungi cause a lot of problems because they spread really easily. Humans ship about 100 million amphibians around the world each year intercontinentally for pets, food, bait, laboratory, and zoo trade. And when sick amphibians get released into the environment or when the water they were held in gets released because chytrid fungus has waterborne zoospores, then uh, chytrid fungus oh, wow. does a really good job of um, impacting living in different places, different climates um, but it does best in cool wet places that's usually the mountains so the amphibians in the mountains have been um, significantly impacted probably about 100 amphibian species have gone completely extinct because of the chytrid fungus that makes chytridiomycosis the worst disease in recorded history in terms of biodiversity wow so, yeah so stopping um, the spread of chytrid fungus is super important other issues are pollution and pesticides because all of those bad chemicals get brought down into the rivers in the streams and the ponds where the amphibians are breeding amphibians have permeable skin and global warming climate change amphibians are dependent on wet places so if there are prolonged droughts if the cloud forest dries up if their ponds dry up then they don't have a place to breed. And that's been causing problems in different parts of the world. Overharvesting for the pet and food trades. People are taking colorful frogs usually out of the wild, such as poison dart frogs, and using them as pets, shipping them out to different parts of the world. Usually a lot of those are coming from Latin America and they're being shipped to the USA or Europe or Japan for use as pets. A uh, bigger problem, though, probably is the food trade in that about a billion frogs a year are eaten, wild-caught frogs. So that's 
clearly a lot of frogs. The number one um, consumer of frogs for food is Indonesia. They're also the number one exporter. The top importing countries are France, Belgium, and the USA. Oh, These days wow. in the USA, most of the frogs coming in are um, wild caught frog. Sorry, they're they're not wild caught anymore. They're farm raised. It's less expensive to produce them on the farms. Mm -hmm. Let me repeat all that. Um, the biggest problem as far as the food trade goes is that on top of there being wild caught frogs, there's also frog farms proliferating around the world. And on those frog farms, it's it's good that they're not being taken out of the wild, but they're usually American bullfrogs, even outside of the USA. And the American bullfrogs have a um, huge ability to carry chytrid fungus on their skin without dying from it, which makes them a reservoir species. They'll just have the the fungus and they'll be able to spread it to other species. And on the farms, they're living in extremely dense packed conditions, lots of frogs yeah. in small areas in the water. The chytrid has the waterborne zoospores, so it's perfect conditions for spreading chytrid fungus. And then they get shipped to other parts of the world. Generally speaking, there's no disease um, testing or quarantines, and then those frogs spread their diseases. So a lot of problems with pet and food trades and then invasive species, the American bullfrogs in particular, they're getting shipped around the world for food, um, a lot of them live, and then they get released on purpose by people who think they're doing uh, the frogs a favor or they just escape and they uh, set up populations, they establish populations, they do a good job living in different places and in places like California, there's now you know, millions of American bullfrogs out there. Frogs are gape limited predators. They're going to eat whatever they can put into their mouth. So they'll eat America's second largest frog, the California red-legged frog, which is oh. an endangered species. Oh, wow. That's really unfortunate. And like you said, that the American bullfrogs mostly found on the East Coast. And so now they're not native anywhere yeah. else. And now they're invasive. Yeah, they're invasive in at least 15 different countries. Wow. That's a big problem. Is there anything that can be done about the uh, frog trade? Any regulations? Well, the best thing to do is to prevent them from coming in. So that's what Save the Frogs have been working on for over 10 years with the state of California. Unfortunately, the Department of Fish and Wildlife and the Fish and Game Commission of California are very slow to take action. They've taken almost no action and um, 13 years that I've been dealing with the issue, even though they always say that they're working on it. I've been part of a stakeholder group, part of the government um, process in getting something done about that because they're issuing permits for the importation of these species. So they continue so to do it. They continue to do it. Yeah, the stakeholder process was probably supposed to take a year. It's taken about five years. Um, this May, the Fish and Game Commission is meeting and theoretically they are going to be making some decisions. So I'd like to think that that will actually happen this year as they say it will, mm -hmm. but based on past experience, um, who knows what would happen. It would certainly be better to have something at the federal level um, as we got done with the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service banning the importation and interstate transportation of the salamander species. 
So right. yeah, the legislative work, it's difficult because governments don't have the same priority as um, you know, most of us environmentalists, they've got a lot of competing interests and they usually prefer to do nothing than to offend certain groups. Right, right. I've found that true for myself as well, working on certain issues. Um, but thank you for your continued fight. Yeah, well, I mean, I put so much time into it. I want to see it to completion. Yeah, yeah, I, I totally understand. I feel the same way. So, but thank you for that, for your persistence. Um, some people may not know what an indicator species is, and I know that frogs and other amphibians are indicator species. Can you explain what that means? Yeah, bioindicators are species that are thought to um, have trouble and go into population decline sooner than other species. And that's because they're sensitive to environmental change. With respect to amphibians, that's because they're amphibious, they're dependent on, or most species of amphibians are dependent on healthy land and water. So if something goes wrong in either of those, they'll have trouble. They cannot easily fly off to a new location like a bird could if their wetland gets drained or built on top of, or their forest right. gets chopped down. And also they have permeable skin. They can absorb all the pollutants and pesticides. So they're going to be sensitive to whatever's going on uh, chemically in their environment. Yeah. And I think that's a, that's a strong um, thing to point out about their skin that it's so permeable, permeable that they can absorb all of these pollutants. And so like when we see that their population is declining, it's a, it's a clarion call for us to pay yeah. attention. Yeah. And so uh, about 200 species have gone extinct in recent decades. That's an extinction rate that's thought to be thousands of times higher than is natural. And right. as you said, a, a couple thousand species are known to be threatened with extinction. That means if we don't do anything to remove those threats, we can expect them to go extinct in the near future. In reality, the true number is certainly a lot higher because there's probably about... Um, 1200 or so species that are considered data deficient that means we don't know what's going on with their population usually we don't know because their population is so small that they're hard to study and small populations are more prone to extinction so a lot of those data deficient species are probably in reality threatened with extinction right so that makes amphibians the most threatened group of vertebrates on the planet that's very that's very sobering and very scary to learn that you know what's really happening out there and to think you know where these amphibians live they're losing a lot of their habitat and what are why are they losing their habitat we're destroying rainforests for cattle grazing or you know to knock down trees so we can have paper or toilet paper and all of these things that now we're kind of like biting ourselves in the butt you know it's like we're all doing this and we're kind of on this ride to a, not a good place yeah cattle grazing is definitely a big problem in uh, south america and brazil um, in lots of places in the world but the cattle you know they're not living in the forest the forest gets chopped down so they have grass to eat so um, people who eat beef, if you can eat less beef, that's certainly a great way to help the environment. Right. So 
I know that um, Save the Frogs is, uh, your message is clear about um, promoting a, a better planet for all of us and stating that if the frogs go extinct, there is a definite cause and effect for other wildlife, for us, for our planet. Um, what can we do um, to help with the betterment of the planet, to help save the frogs, help save the wildlife and help save ourselves? Okay, yeah, there's lots of things. I think the most important thing to do uh, to begin with is educate yourself about the environment. Now, if you're listening to this podcast, you probably have a good environmental background already, but the more we know, the better off we are. And as far as actions go, I would start with improving one's own ecological footprint. So think about the the way you live and what impact that has on the planet. And aside from that, you can volunteer for um, environmental organizations. You can go into a career in environmental science, environmental law, environmental management, um, dedicate your career to it. Certainly if you're at early stage or if you're still a student, um, some specifics, frogs, especially this time of year in the Northern hemisphere, frogs tend to be pretty active in April. There's rain and they're out breeding and they're crossing the roads or just hanging out on the road. So slow down driving on wet nights. Don't use pesticides. Uh, build mm -hmm. a frog pond in your backyard. Now we talked about that a little bit. We have Save the Frogs Academy online courses. If you go to savethefrogs.com slash academy, you can get 28 days free full access to all of our courses. Uh, if you become a Save the Frogs member or apply for a Save the Frogs scholarship, then you can get full access to all of our courses. One of those courses is our wetlands course, and we have very detailed instruction on how to build a backyard frog pond. They don't have to be big. Um, one meter across is plenty in a lot of places in the world to attract frogs and create some good frog habitat and have some uh, frogs that are easy for you to see too. Turning off the tap, especially if you're in a dry part of the world, such as the Western US and a lot of places, um, the Colorado River does not make it to the sea. The Murray-Darling River in Australia does not usually make it to the sea. That's because all that water is getting taken out of the rivers and the tributaries, and that's drying up habitat for frogs. So turn right. off the tap, conserve water, don't eat frog legs, reduce, reuse, recycle, use less plastic. Uh, use rechargeable batteries. Certainly if you're an amphibian biologist or someone who goes out at night with a headlight looking for animals using lots of batteries, uh, use rechargeable batteries, dispose of them properly. Vote for the environment, vote for environmentally friendly politicians, look up their environmental track record. A lot of them won't even mention it. That usually means they don't care too much about the environment. Um, eat locally grown organic food if possible. So locally grown, meaning it wasn't shipped from around the world, using up lots of fuel, contributing to climate change to get to you. Organic food, no pesticides on it, if possible. Educate yourself. SaveTheFrogs.com, I mentioned Save the Frogs Academy, but even aside from Save the Frogs Academy, you've got um, about a thousand pages of publicly accessible knowledge there. So ton, anything I've been talking about with amphibians, probably more detailed up there on the website. Don't purchase wild caught amphibians as pets. It's best to not have a pet frog at all, but certainly if you 
are going to get a pet frog, make sure it was not taken from the wild. Do some research into it. Tell your local teachers about Save the Frogs, or if you're a teacher, we encourage you to get your students involved. And we have Save the Frogs Day coming up. The 15th annual Save the Frogs Day is April 28th, 2023. Save the Frogs Day takes place annually uh, April 28th. So whenever you're listening to this, know that April 28th is going to be Save the Frogs Day. And we like it when people go out there and set up events in their own communities. We've had at least 1,500 known events take place in 60 plus countries for Save the Frogs Day. Um, Save the Frogs has a grants program. We've given out about $120,000 worth of grants to amphibian conservationists. And this year we're giving out about $8,800 to um, help fund various Save the Frogs Day events taking place around the world but it doesn't take a lot of money to hold an educational event you can gather up some friends or you know get together with your local wildlife group set up a frog walk out to a local stream visit a school um, if you're a teacher you've already got the students there we have a save the frogs art contest and we've had participants from about 100 countries taking place in that that goes mm-hmm. year round so you're always able to go to savethefrogs.com art and submit your finest frog art. We do the the cutoff for judging each year is November 1st. Uh, Let's see, this year for the 15th annual Save the Frogs Day, on top of the various events that our volunteers are holding around the world, we have a free event April 27th and 28th. It's two full days of wetland construction and restoration and education taking place at the Meridosha Wildlife Meridosha National Wildlife Refuge in Illinois. So you're invited. Yeah. Yeah. That's for me. You're in Illinois. Come on down. It's April 27th and 28th. Go to savethefrogs.com slash wetlands dash Illinois. And you can get all the info on that. There's lots of details and register there. It's free event. Um, We've, we're going to have the world's wetland construction expert. Tom Biebekhauser is going to be there and u.s fish is he really service he's going to be there yeah he's built I, when it. i i'm sorry to interrupt but i watched yeah. the wetlands documentary and okay. he was amazing in it yeah okay good well he has been uh training save the frog staff and volunteers for uh about nine years on how to build wetlands he's built about 2500 wetlands over the past 30 or 40 years and he is oh, a, wow. a great teacher there's nobody better to learn the art of wetland construction and restoration um, with respect to protecting wildlife. So he'll be there. Yeah. Uh, Other things we've got, we've got Save the Frogs eco tours that take place usually once or twice a year. We'll go somewhere for 10 to 12 days with usually about 10 to 14 participants. And I'm on a lot of those tours. We'll always have a local wildlife guide. And um, those are great ways to get outside experience nature and wildlife usually in the rainforest and um, experience some local culture meet a lot of other frog enthusiasts so we're working on a tour to um, to zambia in southern africa that'll be our first eco tour in africa and that'll probably take place at the end of december 2023 we've been we've been leading tours since 2013 we've had tours in costa rica belize ecuador and Peru, and we're looking to branch out to some 
new countries. So I encourage everyone, you oh, can go to Save the Frogs. Amazing. Yeah, go to savethefrogs.com slash ecotours, and there's a little notifications form right there. You can put your name in, and then whenever we have a new tour, we will be sure to inform you. Just like uh, Dr. Kerry Krieger mentioned that there's, what did you say, um, thousands of educational videos and, and information on the website. I mean, you can go crazy there and learn yeah. so much. I mean, I can, yeah, I, can spend I spent a, lot a whole of time day, there. yeah, just looking at the website and, and just watching all these documentaries, which I um, was, the wetlands documentary gave me the chills because of the way they were able to convey to the viewer just how monumental wetlands are, not just for frogs, but for us, which I didn't realize. Yeah, um, wetlands are, uh, you know, on top of looking nice and uh, being great places to visit and spend time. They're really important for wildlife. And even aside from wildlife, they're also doing us various ecosystem services there. They serve as flood control. Uh, they're filtering bad chemicals out of the water before it gets to our, you know, oftentimes municipal water sources. Mm -hmm. And, you know, in, in this day and age of climate change, we've got water sources that are drying out. If we can construct those wetlands and that's going to keep water available to whoever needs it for a lot longer. Farmers are, are in need of wetlands for their, you know, the cattle or whatever they have on their property. So fortunately, you know, even though, as we said, cattle can destroy land, but fortunately there are a lot of farmers. I know Tom works with a lot of farmers at ranches to build wetlands on the ranches and they are, um, many of them are generously contributing their land to, um, you know, have wetlands built on the property. Yeah. Amazing, amazing work. So I take it that um, if someone was to go to Save the Frogs um, and learn more, that there are also volunteer opportunities where they can help out, not just workshops or eco-tours, but there's volunteer. Yeah, definitely. Savethefrogs.com slash volunteers. We have various volunteer positions listed. We um, add new volunteer positions regularly. So I would start there. Okay. And even if you don't see something that's precisely what you're interested in, if you have some idea on how you would want to help, then definitely go to the contact page and send us an email because we are we always want volunteers. Save the Frogs Day is definitely the number one way to volunteer. Just go um, organize an event in your community. We have a page. If you go to savethefrogs.com slash day, there's a link there for how to organize an event. I actually just added a video yesterday. We had a Save the Frogs Day event planning session. Oh, okay. And I added that video there. So yeah, number one way to volunteer is set up a Save the Frogs Day event. But even aside from that, let us know how you think you can help and we can find something for you to do. Okay, thank you for that. Um, I just have one more question for you. Does it depend on where a person lives um, in order to build a wetland, like in their backyard, to attract amphibians? Are there more places? Are there certain areas that would be more beneficial? Well, ideally, there's ideally there are already amphibians in the area because we don't want people moving. We don't like it when people transport amphibians from one place to another. Ideally. Mm -hmm. 
if you build the wetland, they will come. How will they oh, get okay. there? Because they're hopping across the land, migrating from one place to another. Oftentimes the juveniles, they're going to find it. And if it's good habitat, they'll start calling and then other frogs will be able to find it. So mm. ideally there's already frogs around. If there's not frogs around, maybe that's for a reason and you wouldn't have a high chance of them living there anyway. Um, but you know, if there's, if you're in a super wet place and there's tons of wetlands already, then there's not too much reason to build a wetland, but that's not the case in most places where people live. Um, usually it's from a past history of agriculture that so many wetlands have been drained and you won't even notice it unless you've been trained in the art of identifying historical wetlands while looking at the landscape. You may be driving down the highway looking around and it looks like it's all just dry farmland and there's corn growing there who knows what and what you don't realize is that 100 years ago 200 years ago there were wetlands there but the farmers cut irrigation ditches because you can't grow food or most of the crops won't grow in wet land so most places in the usa certainly could use wetlands and it would be beneficial okay that's good to know Thank you, Dr. Kerry Krieger. This was uh, enlightening for me. Yeah, um, I've enjoyed it. I hope everyone listening has too. Um, if you're inspired to donate to an environmental cause, Save the Frogs would appreciate your support. You can go to savethefrogs.com slash donate. You can become a member, savethefrogs.com slash membership. If you don't have funds to donate or to become a member, you can apply for a Save the Frogs scholarship at savethefrogs.com slash scholarships and that will get you access to a whole lot of educational material and uh, follow us on social media we're on the major social media platforms at save the frogs thank you for all your work and your continued persistence to help save their populations yeah my uh, my pleasure doing something good for the environment and spreading the word through this podcast yeah thank you